I want to I do something real quick. I started thinking about, as, as we got to this part, about hallowed be your name. Started thinking about the whole idea of name. And, and last week we talked about him being our father. And, and that was pretty good, wasn't it? And as we, as we sit and meditate on that idea that he is our father, that, that there's a relationship, there's a personal relationship that God calls us to. And, and so that, that is an excellent um, thing to think about. But we get to this, and I, and I thought, you know what, now it's almost, we, we, a lot of times we come to prayer too casual. I feel like there's a fear of that, that we come like it's, you know, you, you often hear people say, well, it's just talking like to your friend. You know, that's, that sounds good, but we have to be careful there because God is God. He is the king of the universe. He is holy. I mean, there were many experiences. I mean, people not even look him in the face because of his holiness. So we're going to talk tonight about his name and I thought, you know what, used to in the Old Testament, if you go through the Old Testament, names meant something, didn't they? I mean, now meters doesn't really mean much. I mean, I get meters, I get meters, I get meadows, I get all kind of different names, I get called different things, and sometimes not even those names, and, and, and a name doesn't really mean as much today as it used to. And so I started thinking about what's in a name? I, I want to go through some, Steve, go, you can go to the, to the first slide, um, we're going to go through some pictures and first names, and then I want you to kind of give me the last name. Now, as I started thinking about this, and, and then I came tonight, I go, man, I, did a, I just did a lot of bad people. Um, I started looking up. I said, some of the most infamous names in, in history. Now, I will say this. Time Magazine, I believe it was, did a, a top 100 uh, of most influential people. And you know who number one was? Jesus. I was like blown away, but I thought, you know what? They got it right. For whatever, however they came to that, they were right. But I started looking too about the top 25 most evil people because you know what? We remember names according to what they've done in their life, don't we? It's sort of like these. Look at this. Here, help me out in a few of these. Osama bin Laden. We know that name. We hear that name, and, and who do we think of? This guy, uh, each second slide is going to be the last name, Steve. So I've just filled him in on this. So he's not to blame. So the next one, look at this one. Help me out. Saddam Hussein. I was talking to Hallie today, and, and she said, we started studying the Great Depression. I said, you did? What did you learn? She said, well, we don't learn a lot because we do it all in one day. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what? But, but you think about it. There's so much more history now, right? Some of you didn't have thick books like this, you know, that history was only that big. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Paperbacks. It was was like four sheets. One is just like what? I said you have a lot more to go through now, so I know it's got to be hard. So here's the next one. Look at this. Pol Pot. Where's he from? Cambodia. I learned about Cambodia from Jim Wilson uh, several years ago. He took me to a um, a Baptist camp in Georgia. I believe it's in um, Macon. Thank you. And, and went down there, youth and adults, I led a youth conference, and, and they were all um, Cambodians that had come over, and their families had ended up here. And one of the guys that was a part of this killing, uh, if you don't know much about it, check it out, because it's pretty uh, horrific, just the, the, the terrible thing that happened. They brought all these people together, just started killing people. But they also brought men and women, lined them up, and said, you marry you, you marry this one, you marry this one. One of the guys that is a huge leader in the Baptist camp in Macon, him and his wife got together that way. (laughs) And I'm thinking, wow, just some evil stuff. And we remember these names because of what they've done. What's the next one? Adolf Hitler. Pretty easy. You know what? He's not even number one. Number two? What's the next one? I think this was, oh, this this is number one. Anybody know this last name? Yeah, that's what, that's what, yeah, that's one name you know of him. Anybody else know? Dracula. I thought this one would be, I thought other people would know that. I didn't know this. I thought Dracula's real, but he was, and he was known for being the impaler and, and what he did, horrifically did to, to children and adults and, and, and all these things, but we remember the names. I started thinking about the name of God. 
I want you to turn to Nehemiah 9, and we're going to watch the video first, and then we're going to come back to Nehemiah 9 and start breaking this down about this name being hollowed and being holy and being set apart. So I want you to listen to what uh, our different speakers say, and then we'll come back and we'll answer some questions. Welcome back to our study on the model prayer. I'm so grateful to God that Jesus gave us this prayer as a model to look at, to teach us how to pray. In fact, in the parallel text over in Luke chapter 11, this really was Jesus' answer to the question, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And so we're learning how to pray and we're learning it from the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look today at God's name. God's name is holy. God's name is high and lifted up. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, saw the Lord. The king had just died. The throne was empty on the earth, but the throne was occupied in heaven. And here he saw this glorious God, high and lifted up, and he worshiped him. That's what it means to talk to God and to say, Hallowed be your name. Make your name holy. May God bless you as we study the holy name of God. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored. Honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us, deliver us from the evil one. After the invocation that Jesus teaches us in the model prayer, our Father in heaven, we get right down to business about how to simply, directly, and confidently take our petitions to God in prayer. But the first section of those petitions really are not about man and his need as much as they are about God and his glory. This is clear, very clear, from the first of the petitions, hallowed be your name. This starts by teaching us, indeed, that prayer is about God and His glory, not about us and our needs. And we should begin our prayers not by giving God a laundry list of personal requests. We should pray about the things that matter to God. And the fact that His name is to be honored, reverenced, and treated as holy should be the ultimate priority in our prayers. I believe the first petition is in practical terms teaching us that the purpose of prayer is not merely the answer that you may receive to prayer. The purpose of prayer is the glory of God. And this is not something to be tacked on at the end after we get what we want in prayer. The real priority of prayer is what does God want in prayer? God wants his name to be honored. His name is to be treated with the reverence and respect that it deserves. And so it is appropriate to begin our prayers. Before we get to the matters that may move us to prayer, that are heavy on our hearts, to remember who God is, his greatness, his goodness, and his graciousness. And really, when you begin by focusing on God, it really does fuel the rest of your prayer life as you are reminded confidently who God is, his nature, his character, his authority, you can pray with confidence that God is willing to hear and able to answer prayer. It's really interesting that Satan um, tempted Adam and Eve at this very point. When you look at the temptation in the garden, he did start off by saying, hey, I got this really good deal for you. What he began doing was separating them from their worship because hallowedness really is about worship. And so he, he gets their minds off of a continual worship of God who they walked with in the cool of the day. They walked with unhindered. There was no sin, no separation. But Satan knew in order to get them to bite the fruit, he had to first get them to stop worshiping. And so worship is critical to prayer. And, and it, just on a practical note, I will often forget this and dive straight into whatever my prayers are. But at times, I, when I remember, I stop, I take a deep breath, and I begin just worshiping the Lord, or I listen to music to worship to the Lord, worship the Lord, and it really helps remind me who He is, what He has done for me, 
and it also builds a defense against Satan's attack that, uh, that when my prayers become consumed with me or some object in my life, uh, I have to remember that, uh, that, that, that the enemy always wants to separate me from God and the first tactic he uses is to keep me or drive me away or pull me away from worship and, and to hallow his name. Well, first of all, the name of God is his important revelation of himself. You go through the Old Testament and they're, they're kind of, obviously God's name is, is Jehovah in the English or Yahweh. Most people have heard that. It was so holy that the Jews wouldn't pronounce it. That, that name was that holy. So when you get to the Ten Commandments and you have a commandment about honoring God's name and not taking it in vain, it, it's, it's much more than just don't cuss, you know, don't use the Lord's name in a, in a vain expression. It literally means much more, and particularly to Israel, because they were called by his name. So Israel now took the name of their God, their deity. They were God's people. So throughout the Old Testament, as God unveils kind of these various names, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shammah, they all have significance, and God is revealing a part of his character to Israel. So when you come to this phrase in the Lord's Prayer, it picks up this whole imagery of the Old Testament about the name of God and the names of God because they reflect his character. So when, when I pray, hallowed or honored be your name, I'm not giving God permission for his name to be holy. His name is holy whether I think it is or not. In fact, there are angelic beings whose only creative purpose is to cry out, holy, holy, holy throughout all of eternity. So God doesn't need my permission for his name to be holy. And it's not just simply saying, well, as far as I'm concerned, it's okay if your name is holy. We're asking God to hallow or honor his name in our lives. So this is really a commitment of life. It's more than just a mouthing of a phrase. So as I think through this prayer, it's a part of kind of my own prayer strategy. And I leave, the, you know, I leave my house in the morning. I say, Father, don't let me say or do anything today that would bring dishonor to your name. I want you to hallow your name in my life. I want you to manifest your character in my life. So I tell people, you know, before you stop at the cleaners and nuke the lady's head because they ruined your one good shirt or blouse, you got to think, is it worth my dad's reputation? Is it worth my father's name? Because we manifest and bear his name. That's the way he honors his name in our world today is through our life, our behavior, and our attitude. So when I pray that phrase, I'm not thinking just about God's name as holy, and, and it is. And it's not just an adoration of praise, and it is. But it's also an acceptance of responsibility, and that is that I now bear your name. I'm a Christian. I bear the name of Christ. I bear the name of our Father. When I pray, and I pray that part of the Lord's Prayer, I always go back to some of the Old Testament names of God, and the names of God really refer to the attributes of God. Uh, for instance, Jehovah Nisi, he is the Lord my banner. He fights for me while I keep silent. Uh, the, he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer. And I'll, I'll start praying scriptures like, uh, you pardon all of my iniquities, you heal all of my diseases, you redeem my life from the pit. I pray that in all respects I will prosper, be in good health, just as my soul prospers. So I always, when I pray that part of the prayer, hallowed be thy name, I take the names of God and I point out the attributes of God, connect them with the scripture and pray those scriptures back to God. You know, when you think about the Lord's Prayer and you think about that, that declaration to hallowed be your name, which is just make your name great, make your name holy, it's just causing us to recognize again who God is. Uh, it's, it's taking that time before we go into petition and asking for things and, and, and presenting our, our list of needs before the Lord, it's simply saying, I'm going to start first by really, truly locking in on who God is. So you say, how be your name? We start thinking about the name of God. And just imagine if someone was, who was, you know, took time every day to just go through the, the names of God or took time to just go through the alphabet and just begin to declare, you know, you know the, who God is, you know, you know, God, you're awesome or God, you know, Jesus, you're beautiful, or you're the Christ, or you're the deliverer, or you're the everlasting one, or you're faithful. Good night. You could go from A to Z, and by the time you're done, oh, you, you had a needs list for sure, but you've so declared how great God is because you're recognizing his great name that you're like, I probably don't even have to mention those things. He's got them all taken care of because I recognize his name. 
And there's something special about the name of God. Uh, you know, everywhere his name goes, his presence goes. And he doesn't go anywhere where he's not invited. He's a gentleman. And you, and you go back even to the book of Malachi, as you're building a theology of prayer and under a biblical foundation for the necessity of prayer and God's presence. You realize that in Malachi, he says, my name will be great every, among the nations, everywhere where incense is offered to my name. You go to the book of Psalms, you go to the book of Revelation, the incense that's offered to his name is the prayers of the saints. And so everywhere where his name is honored, his name is hallowed, his name is lifted up nonstop, he's there in the midst. So there's something powerful about the name of our God. And if we would, that's a place, that's when we pray, it's just, it's time to like say, time out, I'm gonna linger here. I'm gonna press pause and just running through this quickly. I'm just going to think about deeply, not rush, not deeply, who God is by concentrating on his name. So hallowed, honored uh, be your name is another idea of being holy. So holy is your name. And uh, not only in the Old Testament we see that God's name is holy, but in the New Testament uh, we're commanded not only to hold the name of God holy, but we're to live holy lives. And so I think as we're praying about the character of God, it reminds us about the character of ourself. And so it's an acknowledgement. This is the beautiful thing about how Jesus gives us this model. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy be your name. And I think it's a wonderful reminder for us to mimic the character of God, right? So Jesus, as the perfect example, not only expects us to live holy, but in turn, he's already lived it. So he emulated, in turn, what he expects from us to do. And so I think it's a wonderful way just to remind us as we begin to pray that God is God and we are not. And there's this wonderful dependence upon God at the re very beginning of our prayers. We first of all know that God is holy. And so when we pray to God and we ask him to make his name holy, we're in a sense willing to magnify and proclaim uh, who he is and what he is already like. Uh, the fact of the matter is people have so many confusing views about who God is and what God is like. And so for us to declare his holiness is to acknowledge who he is in reality. And in fact, again, some theologians would call holiness the supreme attribute of who God is. I'd prefer to put it together as holy love. But certainly God's holiness, his utter uh, separation from his creation in terms of his person, uh, his utter separation from anything sinful uh, is a hallmark of his very character and nature. And we can't make him holy, but we can acknowledge that he is holy, and we can proclaim that. Well, in a very real sense, we're not asking God to make his name holy. We are asking God to um, glorify his name through us. There's a difference. It's not like we ascribe holiness or give glory to God. We simply recognize that it's there. You know, before we ever get to asking God anything, it's like we have to posture ourselves before the holiness of God, which is the, the, the point, the glory of God, which is the point of, of our whole existence. I mean, what is the, the chief end of man? It is to glorify God. Why did God create the world? He created it to glorify himself. What's his main motive in saving us? It is to bring him glory. It is when I have found the, 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 um, the surrender and the posture of submission that comes from saying, God, you are holy, that I am in a, if I could say it this way, safe place to begin to pray the other request. Otherwise, I turn God into this, like, essentially, you know, shopping list. And I've, you know, here's a list of a catalog of needs. Um, in order to, to ask properly, there has to be the proper posture before God, and that starts with understanding that he is Father. It also continues with understanding that he is holy in the point of my whole life, that whether I'm eating or drinking or asking for prayer requests or whatever it is, then all things, it's to give glory to God. When Jesus gave us the model prayer, uh, he never said, pray this prayer. In fact, nobody in the New Testament prays this prayer. Even Jesus never praised the prayer. Instead, he said, pray, here's how you should pray. Or in one version, he said, pray like this. So when I come to this part of the prayer, and I've been praying the model prayer as a model or a guide for my own prayer life for more than 25 years every day. And when I come to this part, our Father who art in heaven or who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's really us expressing praise. That's saying, Lord, you are holy. And I just want to pause at the very beginning and say, Lord, I love you because you're holy. And that gives us 
kind of a springboard into all kinds of other ways of praising God for his attributes and characteristics. One of the things that you notice right off the bat when you start praying uh, the model prayer or using it as a guide for your prayer life is that praying to God as your Father and then saying, God, you are holy, that immediately puts prayer as a God-centered exercise. Instead of rushing into God's presence with our long list of burdens, anxieties, and needs, we're first and foremost acknowledging the bigness and the greatness and the wonder of God. And by declaring His holiness, that's just a starting place. You can all go from there. You're holy. You're righteous. You're wonderful. You're full of love. You're full of mercy. So that is a real great place to just start your prayer life, your daily prayer experience by acknowledging who God is and giving Him praise. I love the idea of that divine dichotomy of God as Heavenly Father, Him being perfectly approachable, but Him being Creator King of the universe, Him being perfectly other than. He is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. It reminds me of, you know, John in the Gospel of John, how he was able to lean against the breast of Christ at the Last Supper, so that denotes that intimate relationship. But then in Revelation, how when he saw glorified Jesus, he fell as though dead, totally discombobulated. And there's something about acknowledging God as Father and acknowledging his absolute holiness that I think keeps my heart in that appropriate context of relationship and awe, that he's my dad, but he is the king of all kings. We as human beings praise the things that we love. I mean, we do it naturally. You know, you have a great ice cream flavor. You're going to praise it to somebody. Um, Your dog does something awesome. You're going to praise the dog. Your kids, the things that we love and that we find praiseworthy, we are naturally going to praise. So if we find ourselves feeling awkward about adoring God in prayer, then that communicates something about our heart, that at some point we have ceased to, or maybe we never really have, reflected on the Lord enough to find him truly praiseworthy. Uh, This is a, a bad thing for us, but it's something that we should recognize and something that we can actually discipline ourselves about. So one of the things that we do if we recognize that praise is not naturally bubbling up for us, we don't just give up and say, well, I guess I'm done praying. No, we don't do that at all. We recognize that even though we've been saved in Christ, adopted in the family of God, there is still an undercurrent of sin that exists inside of every human heart. This is one of the reasons that we have to discipline ourselves is because we are changed and yet not completely changed into the image of Jesus. So one of the ways that we do that is by exercising the muscle of adoration. Um, One of the most helpful ways that we can do this is to just start with remembering. Start with gratitude. Think about all the ways, whether we recognize them or not, that the Lord provides for us, cares for us, the way that he treats us every single day. And don't just let those go unspoken. In our prayers, we bring those to mind, and then along with specific instances, Uh, in remembering the way that the Lord has cared for us, we can praise a particular attribute of God along with that. So we would say something simple like, Lord, you protected me on the way to work today. I commuted 45 minutes, 15 whole miles in a vehicle going 75 miles an hour with a piece of cloth around my chest, and you protected me all the way. So Lord, I praise you because you are my protector. It's not this seatbelt, it's you. You protected me. So we can integrate that very practically into our prayers. And as we do, I think what we'll find is that praise becomes more and more natural. Adoration becomes part of the language with which we speak to God on a daily basis. Well, for me, I'll be honest, adoration is probably one of the harder parts of prayer for me. Um, I think for many of us, it's easy to come with our list of, Lord, this is what I need help. Lord, this is who needs help. This is what I need. This I need wisdom. I need direction. And I can even move into thanksgiving and thanking him for all of the things that he's given me. But when you move into adoration, that's really all about who he is, which is even different than what he does for us, um, what he can give us. And there are times where I get I kind of run out of my 
words to use. And so one thing that I'll do is I'll go to the Psalms because the psalmists, well, first of all, you know that you're praying back the word of God. But second, you have the psalmists who are reminding us of his attributes, reminding us of his qualities, who he is. And so I can know that when I'm praying those back, that whether it's God's holiness or his justice or his goodness or his provision or what, whatever it is, whatever the attribute might be, or, or his omniscience, you know, all of that. Um, sometimes the Psalms gives me words that I wouldn't be able to have myself. And so that's one way that I, if I get stuck, I tend to use um, that part of the scripture to get me into that rhythm of adoration in my prayer life. When we think about praying to God, we have adoration that we want to adore Him. It's not just a stagnant relationship of give me this and give me that. It's a real adoration that we want to say, Lord, we adore you. You're amazing. You're incredible. And a lot of times when we think of adoring something, it's something small and cute, and we're going to adore this baby or adore this little figurine or whatever it is. This adoration is huge. It's the largest it can get. It's God. So when we grow in our knowledge of Him through prayer, grow through our knowledge of Him through Bible study, the more we know Him, the more we will adore Him. And so we've got those two connected. So I'm discovering who God is through prayer. I'm trusting Him to provide for me and to protect me. And as I trust Him with that, I get to know Him better in His character. Now I'm blown away by it. I see His character and I, I can't do anything but adore Him. And it's so crucial in prayer to stop because adoration has a focus to it. Adoration has a, a slowness to it. And we live in a tremendously misfocused or overly focused, we could say, hectic world. Our phone's buzzing. We're looking at this screen and that screen. Somebody walked in. Somebody's calling. There's just, it's really hard to focus. But when we get to know God and we begin to adore Him in prayer and say, Lord, You're amazing. You're great. You're wonderful. What a blessing. How much grace could I have? What a great thing that I get to know You. That focuses me. And that focus then makes me realize my knowledge of Him and the greatness of who He is. And now I begin to adore Him in my heart as well. I want you to look at Nehemiah chapter 9. <clears throat> I want us tonight to think about this idea of God's name. Why should it be hallowed? Why is it holy? And I think a lot of times... We come to prayer, what do we do? We immediately think prayer is bring my petitions. Prayer is, God, this is what I need to be done right now. Um, we, we put out a prayer list every week. God, we need you to heal these people. We need you to, to, to bring uh, comfort to these families. We need this, God. Oftentimes, we skip right over the fact who God is. And that's why we can even come to him. In Nehemiah chapter 9, I've just find some fascinating things in this whole chapter. As we know, the wall's been completed. Ezra starts reading the law, and all these things are happening. They begin to get back to what God has called them to do. And it says, um, before I get to 9, 8, 18, look, it says, Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So they all come together. And this is what happens. You read a little bit here in the first few verses, but down at verse 5. The Levites said this. This is what they were saying. All those names, I'm not even going to try to read them, but listen to what he says. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessings and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth, and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abraham and brought him out of the Ur of, Ur of Chaldeans and named him Abraham. He found his, his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant with him to give his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and the Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our forefathers in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. But check out this next verse. I love this. 
you made a name for yourself. You made a name for yourself, God. This is all the people of Israel crying out, confessing their sins and all the sins of their fathers because of why they're where they are and what they've just been through. Now realizing, God, you made a name for yourself in all this, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground, but you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai. As I read this, I want to stop right here for a second. As I read this, all these things just start, this whole idea of you blank started just ringing in my head. And that idea of God, everything that he's doing through the Israelites and through all the history and and all the things and even the stuff we haven't read that it continues to go on is God is making a name for himself. I think often so many times we come in prayer and we forget this is not about me at all. We've talked about this before. And we have to remind ourselves often about this, don't we? That when I come to God, this is not even about me or my name. It's about who? Him and his name. You, God, made a name for yourself. Everything that he did in the past and everything that he will do in the future is for what? Is for his namesake. For his namesake. What does this have to do with his character? Well, look, look, at, look at verse, down to verse 16. But they, our forefathers, became arrogant, stiff-necked, and did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But, but check this out. But you are forgiving God. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, and when they committed awful blasphemies, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. You did not abandon them in the desert. I think if we can learn anything from this model prayer is that yes, God is our Father and God is personal and that God desires a relationship with us, that He's adopted us as sons and daughters. We're heirs. But also to realize the fact that this is this whole thing that we call life, this relationship, everything that God has done from the very beginning and everything that God will do to the very end, it all revolves around Him. His name. We're going to go through some questions in a minute talking about that, that so many times our prayers are more self-centered than where they need to be in God-centered. When Jesus says, I want you to pray like this, like, like the video said, it wasn't a thing of you need to pray these exact words, but it is this idea that when we come to God, we know He is our Father, but we also know that He is the God, the God of the universe. And that his name is to be honored and revered and set apart. Instead of focusing on my name, what I need and what I want and what I think is important. I love this passage as the Israelites come gathered together and they're just pouring out their hearts and basically not asking for one thing from God in all of this, but just confessing and acknowledging of who he is and what he's done. And because of what he's done, that makes who he is. Character of God is summed up right here. Compassionate, forgiving, not abandoning his people and his chosen ones. I thought today, man, what would my prayer life be like if every time I sat down before God before I even got my list out it was all just God look look at who you are I'm not even going to talk about what you've done in my life 
just look at what you've done in the history of, of here before Christ came and even when Christ came and, and, and to see what you've done for your namesake. You truly have made yourself a name. I love this passage. You can write this down and, and check it out later. You probably heard it, Isaiah 26, 8. Isaiah 26, 8, a song of praise. It says, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Your name, famous, where people are talking about it all the time, that's what our heart desires. Forget about what I want and what I need. Forget about what I think is important. Forget about what I think needs to be done here, God, in this situation and these circumstances. God, how about you just make yourself known in whatever way you want to? God, here's my list. You know it. You know every bullet point on it. How about you just make yourself great through any of those you want to? Let me ask you this. We start talking about this idea of regarding God's name as holy. Number one, here's the first question I want you to answer for me because I want you guys to talk a little bit. What are possible obstacles to your truly desiring the name of God to be regarded as holy? What do you think some obstacles are? And I've got a couple of things here, but I want you to talk to me. Why, why is this hard for us? That's good. <laughs> Amen. Putting other names before his name. What else? Why do you think there's, there's obstacles? Or what, what are the obstacles that, that keep us from regarding him as holy in our prayer life? All right. Focused on, not focused on that, focus on the wrong things, Really? Pride. Mm. Not a great place to be, is it? <laughs> Especially when we're coming with our request, God. You just knocked us down a notch or more notches. Self-sufficient. Too, and I think about Isaiah and he comes before the Lord what, what happens to him all of a sudden he begins confessing I'm nothing but a sinner before you God how many of us have a hard time admitting that anybody have a hard time thinking of the maybe sins in your life after a day you're like I don't even know what I've done today maybe I've been pretty good I, I, I wrote down sin unforgiveness Maybe anger or bitterness in another relationship that, that causes us is an obstacle to truly desiring the name of God to be regarded as holy. Think on this. I'm not going to ask you to answer this, but I want you to think on this. Number two, is your prayer life more self-centered or God-centered? I want you to just think on that. I don't want you to answer it, but I want you to think for a second on that thing. And, and I want you to leave tonight with that question in your mind. I want you to go to bed tonight with your prayers, thinking of that. I want you to wake up in the morning when you pray. Every night, go to bed with my son and we, we say our prayers. And even as I looked at that question, I started evaluating how I put my son to bed with prayers. Are they selfish? Do we pray just because we're supposed to pray? The things we say just become routine. The words that we use often, are they self-centered or God-centered? Let me ask you number three. I want you to answer this. What are some practical ways we can adjust our prayer life to be more God-centered? What are some practical, maybe some of you, this is something that's helped you. Uh, he, he talked about how he uses the model prayer, the Lord's prayer to help him, um, one of the speakers there. But what are some practical ways that we can we really begin to focus and um, be more God-centered 
uh, rather than me-centered. Praying through Scripture. That'll help it, won't it? That's good. I don't know about you, but I've, I haven't found a scripture yet that's about me. Um, it doesn't have my name. But we start praying the scriptures. That's good. There's something else. First off, just adoration towards him. <laughs> it starts to put things in place and priority, doesn't it? Um, I, I don't know if many of you have seen, you've seen the, the Acts model of prayer, the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. It's really a good model because, again, number one, it puts God at the top, God-centered, and, and we just start worshiping God. Maybe put on a song. Maybe, you know, just go to the Word, Nehemiah chapter 9, and just read all who God is and what He's done for His people, for His namesake. Maybe it's something he's done in your life and you say, God, you know what? I wouldn't be here today without that. I, I put maybe focusing on the names of God. You can, you can get all kind of stuff. You can Google that. You can, get, you can just get straight into Scripture and just to focus on God's names. Righteousness. Holiness. Just. Compassionate. Who God is, his character, what makes God, God. I'll put this down too. How many of you have ever done this? Maybe you just pray without any request. You ever done that? Just spend time praying without any list, trying to wipe your mind of all the things that you want to pray for. That's going to be hard, but it's probably one of the best prayer times that you'll ever have just sitting at the feet of Jesus and the feet of our Father and saying, God, I don't have an agenda at all. But just to tell you how great you are. God desires His people to worship His name. Remember the most famous verse of all in the New Testament about the name in, in Philippians where Paul says that God exalted Him and he gave him the name above all names. God's still making a name for himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Hallowed be your name. Maybe, maybe pick a time of the day, every day, and just say, this time of the day, I'm not bringing any requests to you, God. It's just, God, you be glorified. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. Focus on those things. Any other practical ways maybe you found that helps you to focus in adoring who he is? Mm -hmm. Prayer doesn't have to be, you know, like that. Pray with my kids every morning and I take them to school and they're like, Daddy, you going to close your eyes? I was like, no. I'll leave them open. It's all right. Our, our prayers, I mean, it looks different every time, maybe in the morning, different than the night. And so using those models, using those things to keep our mind on track or reminding us. Peter, you were going to say something? That's good. Just, just getting away from all the busyness, which is hard to do, is it not? Um, I don't know about uh, most, a lot of you, you've had little children or you got little children. Um, 6.30 in the morning in my living room is not the best place for me to have a great solitude of prayer. So you have to find those places. Find that place. Name it and claim it. 
But this is where I'm just going to get quiet with God. And God, I just want to adore you today. Let me ask you this real quick. Number four. How do you think your perspective on the circumstances of life would be different if your greatest desire was for God to be known and glorified? How do you think your perspective, I think we've mentioned some of this already, but how do you think your perspective on the circumstances of life would be different if your greatest desire was for God to be known and glorified? Complete opposite, yeah. How many of you, you you freak out a little bit when, when things don't go as planned or things are not happening like you wanted to happen. We, we freak out a little bit, don't we? What if we said, like I said before, that, you know what, God? Here's my list. You do whatever you want to do with them. Can we get to that point? Can we get to that point where, God, you know what? I know this person is struggling right now. They may lose their job. They may not, God... Instead of me telling you what I think is best, God, how about you? Because of your name, because you've already made a name for yourself and you are holy. You are good and you are compassionate and you're forgiving. How about you take this one? It would humble us. Somebody said that earlier. It humbles us to begin to come into the presence of God and begin to realize that, you know what? My problems are like this big. My problems that I'm going through right now changes our perspective when we begin to start our prayers with worshiping Him. I think this is why Jesus said, pray like this. This was different than anything they had ever heard. He says, come to God in adoration. Amen. If you remember who he is, as Terry said, he'll give you peace all the time. I like that. We think, well, my life's not peaceful right now. Well, guess what? God still is peace. No matter what I'm going through, when I begin to focus on who he is, nothing really matters, does it? He doesn't want us to be anxious. Amen. I want you to look back at at Nehemiah. We're going to close with Nehemiah chapter 9. I want to just start in verse 30. And I want you to just think about, not just the Israelites here that are talking about, but think about your own life. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit, you admonished them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention, so you handed them over to the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. This is it. Think about this. If God could have abandoned anybody, It could have been the Israelites. It could be us. God could have walked away from all this. But you know what? You remember verse verse, uh, 10? He was making a name for himself. He was making a name for himself. And so instead of turning them away, instead of being not patient with them, instead of just getting rid of them and putting an end to them and abandoning them, people said, you are gracious and merciful God. I want to encourage us. We begin to think about living the Lord's prayer. How about every time we come before the Lord, every time we come to prayer to God, instead of immediately mentioning, this is what I need done, God. God, my heart's broken, even for other people. Instead of putting their needs and my needs before How about we all just get on our knees and begin to just worship who he is for who he is? The great thing is this, that I don't even need to get to my petitions before God already knows. 
God already knows and God already cares and God is already going to answer those prayers. But maybe I need to spend more time just focusing on who he is. I wrote this down in my notes. I said this, if I begin my prayer life, my prayer time, focusing on who he is and his character and that he's whole, it begins to change my desires. It begins to change my my, my things of what's important. Jesus said, you come and you pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name. Let's pray. Father, God, we are nothing. Father, we come and thinking about this and knowing that there's, there's nothing in my life more important than you and who you are. So God, we come and worship you, Father, for who you are and what you've done. Your name is holy. Father, I pray that you would change our perspective. God, that before anything we do, before we say anything, God, God, that we recognize you for who you are. You are holy. In your love, in your patience, your kindness. God, may you be glorified in everything in our life. And we give you the praise and the honor. It's in your son's name that we can pray. Because of him, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let me encourage you as you continue to have, thinking about these things, take these questions home and think about as you pray, am I self-centered or am I God-centered? We begin to focus on that intentionality, that being intentional about that, I believe it begins to change the way we pray. And I think when we start to change the way we pray, it begins to change the way God moves through us. I really think so. So thank you, God. God bless you.